0: Welcome to Gen X Mixtape, a nostalgic podcast dedicated to the art of making mixtapes and the Gen Xers who made them. This is the first episode of season three of Gen X Mixtape, and we're glad to be back. And we're going to kick it off with part one of 1982, where Alan and I will be curating side A of a mixtape celebrating the 40-year-old airwave sounds of our youth.
1: Uh And this was a great year for music yes i mean you know this was i was reading an article this was the last year that rock music had a prominent role in 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 just popular culture the majority of songs that that placed in on the hot 100 that year this was the last year that more than half of the songs that charted were rock songs
0: even in the like mid 90s when rock I've, had its revival even
1: even, even in the mid 90s this was the last year now not and when i was reading the article not all those rock artists were singing rock songs some of them like mccartney or stevie wonder I mean, some of them had softened and it was clearly pop music um, even debatably you know phil collins or billy joel i mean it was you know pop sure. but but these were classic rockers and more than half of the artists that charted this was the last year that that a majority of the artists that charted that year were rockers so we, we often talk about you know is is rock dead apparently it died in 82 <laughs> <laughs> so but um 82 i hey folks where where were you in 82 you know i i was looking through a list of the major events for that year there's not a lot going on in 1982 I, in terms of pop culture there's quite a bit, but. We we were relatively in a time of peace. I mean, in in prosperity. I mean, I'm looking at this. Well, I wouldn't say prosperity. We were in, actually in a, a pretty deep recession that year. But 1982. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. Michael Jackson's groundbreaking album Thriller is released. Okay. Nancy Reagan begins her "Just Say No" campaign. The U.S. government uh, demands the breakup of the AT and T monopoly. Yeah, that's probably the only political... Remember
0: Ohio Bell? Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. Ohio,
1: yeah. Yeah, it was Mob bell, I think, colloquially uh, in a lot of states. We, yeah, we had Ohio Bell. Um, the very first episode of Late Night with David Letterman debuts on NBC. E.T. debuts. Disney, you ready? The Experimental Community of Tomorrow hmm. opens Epcot. in 1982. Yep. Yeah, Epcot. The Vietnam Veterans Memorial in D.C. is dedicated. Um, Designed by an Ohioan. Yes, it was. Um, The first commercial use of genetic engineering is launched with insulin. Hmm. Insulin, uh, human insulin produced uh, by bacteria is marketed for the first time. The largest cash robbery in history occurs in New York. $9.8 million was stolen from an armored car. (laughs) So um, I don't know how important that is, but it was listed. Um, The first issue of USA Today is published. 700,000 demonstrators gathered in New York City's Central Park protesting the proliferation of nuclear weapons. Uh, Yasser Arafat was elected the president of the Palestinian National Council. Um, We were in severe recession. Graceland, the home of Elvis, opens to the public that year. Um, Screen legend Grace Kelly, Princess Grace of Monaco, she dies in 82. 82 is the first year uh, that Emoticons, emoticons emoticons i'm not sure emoticons emoticons um yeah it was the very first year it was uh scott fallman uh he was a computer scientist from carnegie mellon he is the very first one to uh on record to create smiley the uh you know the the colon and and parenthesis to create the smiley the first cd player sold in japan we're still a long way from getting that uh here in the U.S. Because so, I believe,
0: wasn't Billy Joel's Nylon Curtain one of the first CDs to be pressed?
1: Yeah, which was 82. Right. D- didn't include Billy Joel for this week's episode, but... Did,
0: did. I didn't. We'll no. talk about our criteria a little yeah. bit. But yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Uh, the Weather Channel airs on cable television. Um, Time's Man of the Year. Any idea?
0: Uh, Probably not Reagan yet because he was still kind of struggling at that point, early in his pregnancy, uh, pregnancy. (laughs) early in his presidency. Wow, that would have been a story. That would have been. Um, Boy, man of the year 82. Yeah,
1: you're not gonna get it. The computer. Oh, okay. The computer was man of the year. And then for television, this was the year that Cheers, Knight Rider, Family Ties, uh, New Heart, St. Elsewhere, they all premiered, as well as some long-forgotten shows, Tales of the Gold Monkey, Voyagers, Police Squad. Tales Square, of the Gold
0: Monkey with Jake. Yeah. I still remember that.
1: Square Pegs. Uh, Joni Loves Chachi was 82. Tales of the
0: Gold Monkey was like a ripoff of Indiana oh, Jones, right? Oh,
1: it was right? 100% a rip-off, but I loved, yeah, I yeah. loved the show. It, I mean, in hindsight, I've not seen it well, since 82, so it, it's probably... Yeah, I
0: wouldn't have thought of that the rest of my life had awful, you not mentioned it. Yeah,
1: probably an awful awful <laughs> uh, series now if you go back to watch it. but
0: I think Greatest American Hero was about that time as well, wasn't it?
1: Uh, Greatest American Hero I think was 81. Was it? Okay. Uh, from memory. I know it wasn't 82 because it wasn't listed with, with the others that I, I looked up. But yeah, I mean, th- that's it. That was 82. I mean, if you want to talk about a, a more peaceful time, I mean, we certainly were not divided as a nation in 82 in quite the same way we are now. It was It was relatively... I mean, AIDS was still, you know, the banner subject because AIDS...
0: But that that really wasn't an issue until, like eighty five, eighty six. If I right. remember correctly, yeah. The,
1: the the first episode, the first episode, still talking television. The the first cases uh, were identified in eighty one, okay. uh, the year before. But yeah, not the, not a lot going on. You
0: mentioned USA Today. I remember that was the first newspaper that I know of that uh, was was printed in color. The pictures were in color because yep. our can repository was black and white. That's yep. where I believe most of the newspapers in the country, and so they kind of pushed newspapers into a a new colorful era era.
1: Yeah, and they were the first I remember to really use charts and graphs and and, and the like. I mean, they, they it, it it was a major step forward. I mean, it really. But but in some ways, I think it dumbed down the news too. I mean, it made it accessible to uh, to everybody, which is not a bad thing. But I remember a lot of people. A lot of the elitists were, were not happy with the appearance of USA Today.
0: Well, you look back at the old newspapers, like you know, from the eighteen hundreds, and they had like six columns, and the print was like microscopic. And <laughs> yes, absolutely no pictures at all. Yeah,
1: but no, eighty two. I um I was all of nine years old. You would have been ten, right? Yep. You were seventy two, baby. I was seventy three. Um, but I don't know. I'm. I, I, I'd be tempted to go back to 82. It sounds like a really... Pretty good time. Good time, yeah. Very calm, very relaxed, very peaceful.
0: I've argued in past seasons that 1982 may be my favorite collection of radio hits of the rock era, although I think 85 might be a close second. But do you think that I feel this way because the pop tunes were that good, or because that was kind of the first year where I independently discovered... Music Like, prior to this, my you know, I listened to what my dad listened to. Oh, yeah. Billy Joel, Beatles, Wings. He had some P.G.'s mixing their queen. But this was the first year that I turned on Q92 and started listening to music on my own <laughs> w- and asking DJ my Q. parents yeah. to buy me 45s and, and LPs and so forth. So I wonder if it's really the best collection of pop music of that decade or it's just simply nostalgia.
1: I would say probably a bit of both. I mean, as I was choosing my my songs for this episode it was just there's a wealth of of just just a plethora of, of amazing music from 82 i you had a lot of a lot of bands that were really um, being introduced new wave of course was all the rage um i don't know i i I'm really happy with the list of songs that I brought in. it It is phenomenal. so i I think, but but like you, this was about the time that I started purchasing my own um, music. I don't know. It's a, it's a great question. Yeah. Well,
0: maybe uh, listeners can continue maybe to hear some from them from a different generation.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Let absolutely. us know
0: what they think. Either some boomers or some millennials, or maybe even some uh, zeers out there. So, eighty-five is your your number two, huh? Well, I, I, I think eighty-four is really solid. That whole that whole era, I mean, eighty-two to eighty-five, to me is like the sweet spot of yeah. the eighties.
1: I, I would agree. I might go to eighty-six, but definitely. The, the second half of the 80s I, I have fond memories of it but I wouldn't say it was particularly great right. music Right? Um, I like 84 I mean yeah, I, 84 I love 80, good, yeah. love 82 I do love I, 85 is phenomenal as well 84 though I think that'd be my year in 2024 we might have to come back and do this again <laughs> but this is the 40th anniversary of these songs and we picked our favorites to commemorate uh, just 40 years yeah oh my god my God, I forget that, you know, we are pushing 50 here, um, which and is sad.
0: Technically, this episode is, is, is anything, any song from 1982 qualifies. Right. Um, however, and I think we kind of talked about this a little bit. I, both of us, I think, kind of, without even really talking about it, chose songs, yeah, songs that we like because we always do that, you know, it's our podcast, but songs that also um, maybe are, are less obvious choices. Right. Like we don't have Don't Stop Believing" from Journey. We don't have anything from Michael Jackson or Billy Joel. Um, it's 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 more songs that any Gen Xer is going to know, but may not have heard in many many years.
1: That, that's the well, for the most part. For the most part, there are a few here and there that. Well, of course, um, but, but not,
0: none of the true. Absolutely, I don't think any of these would fall on anyone. If you ask somebody some Xer on the street to name the top ten songs of, of 1982, I don't know that any of these
1: would fall on would most agree. people's list. Yeah, no, I know Billy Joel, and you know the audience knows that we are huge Billy Joel fans. I. I looked at uh i looked at pressure early on before i made the decision to go more more obscure um but but not just Billy i little red corvette i did not include prince i did not include jack and diane there's no john cougar
0: um, well i on avoided ones like th- that today are still popular with the with the newer generations like tainted love and don't you want me and songs like those right that they would recognize as well so if you're a, a millennial or a generation z perhaps this may be the first time you've heard of some of these
1: songs that's very true and I did stay away from the number one song of the year. Remember what it was?
0: Wouldn't have been Betty Davis' eyes. That would have been no, eighty one. I no. think. And, no,
1: not would Betty have been Davis one of, eyes. I,
0: I would assume it was a Michael Jackson. Was not Michael Thriller. Jackson
1: number one song of the year for nineteen eighty two? Physical.
0: Oh yeah, Olivia okay. Newton John. Right, physical. Right.
1: Yep. I, I toyed with it, but I was like, eh. I feel like we've 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 paid tribute to Olivia Newton John quite a few times on our on our podcast. So <laughs> I stayed away from her as well. um yeah no these these uh, songs, and I I don't know I'm I'm really excited about this so.
0: All right, well I forget it's been a whole season so do I <laughs> go first on side A?
1: Uh, no, that would be me. You go first. Okay. Uh, we we can flip it.
0: No 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 I just okay. I can't remember.
1: Yep no I I have always been uh, side A you are side B and yeah the first episode back everybody it's it's always uh, you know reviewing and relearning how all of this works. All right, well, my my first selection for 1982. Uh, The first song this week was recorded by the most successful all-girl pop group to write their own songs and play their own instruments. They were just recently inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
0: Which we got to witness in person. We
1: we did, we were at the induction ceremony. And I'm talking, of course, about the Go-Go's. This was the big, big year for the Go-Go's. They're two major hits from beauty and the beat were still on the charts in 82 that would be we got the beat and our lips are sealed and in that same year they released their sophomore album uh, which was titled vacation so you probably can guess what song i went with it is the self-titled
0: Head over heels oh no
1: <laughs> that was on the same album uh no i i went with it's got a great It like done on that song yeah it does anyway. um no i went i went with vacation success that the Go-Go's had it really took a toll on the band of course they broke up in 84 just three years after the first album was released but in 82 they were still going strong Go-Go's bass player her name is Kathy Valentine she got her start as a member of a Los Angeles band called the Textones, and she had grown up in Austin Texas she went on a trip back to the city back home uh, from LA and she on vacation met a boy named Billy who happened to also be in a band called Boy Problems. Don't know anything about the band, but um, they struck up a a relationship, a summer fling, if you will. It was a very brief summer romance, and Valentine thought it was all fun and games until she was on the plane heading back to L.A. And suddenly, she had an epiphany. She just had the realization that she truly had fallen in love with this boy. So on an airplane napkin, she wrote... Now that I'm away, I wish I had stayed. Tomorrow's a day of mine you won't be in. And if you are familiar with the Go-Go's, you know that is, uh, those are the lyrics to Vacation. uh, Those lines, they inspired the song. And make no mistake, it is an upbeat anthem of summer romance. Valentine finished the song when she returned to LA. She recorded it with the Textones, And their version was released only in the UK. And it went nowhere. Well, soon after Valentine left the group and joined the all-girl punk band, the Go-Go's were a punk band. They were. They were. They were. They a were punk part of the band. L.A. punk scene. They were. She joined the Go-Go's, and the Go-Go's, when they were recording their second album, they decided to use this song. But Jane Weidlin and, and Charlotte Caffey, they they helped to rework the song, adding what had been missing in its original version—a chorus. There had been no chorus, so once it was Go-Go-fied. That's a word now. I'm making it a word. Uh, The song was mixed to perfection, and the engineer recorded it to cassettes so everyone could take it home and listen to it, okay? The girls reconvened a couple days later, and they brought up the mix on the board, but for the life of them. True story. They, They could not get the board to sound as good as the cassettes that they had recorded them on, Okay. So, no matter where the faders got pushed or how how those EQ knobs uh, got turned, something about the cassette just sounded better. So, in an unheard of solution, when it came time to release the song Vacation, they mastered the single off of the cassette tapes that had been made for the band. So, you know, Gen X mixtape.
0: Actually, not that unheard of, and it's funny because in 1982, there was another album that was produced the same way. Really? When Bruce Springsteen was laying down demos from Nebraska on his home four track and he went into the studio afterwards with E Street Band and they tried and tried and tried to replicate the rawness of those tracks and John Landau and um, Springsteen decided you know what we can't get any better than what you did in your basement, basically. Um, and even though, and, and if you listen to Nebraska, obviously the, the sound quality is a little bit rough. Right, yeah. But they felt that the honesty uh, of those original recordings was far superior to what the E Street Band could replicate in the studio, so they actually mastered those huh. those tapes.
1: I, you know, I, I I did know that. Yeah. Um, although that, that that's a bit different, because Springsteen, I don't know, Nebraska just, to me, it, it's meant to sound sure, sure. So, so raw and so intimate so personal this this was just pure pop right here and um but you know fittingly this this song that was mastered from a a mixtape essentially it also became the first ever single oh vacation was the first single ever issued uh in that format to the public so i went with vacation that's my my number one and it is yeah, it's, it's a fun song. It didn't reach the height of We Got the Beat or or Our Lips Are Sealed. But um, for my money, it's it's a great song, and certainly it's a summer anthem. And we, we, of course, run our seasons in the summer. So there you go, vacation.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's my favorite Go-Go song. It's one of my favorite early 80s songs um, overall. Glad you picked it. Um, I love the, the lyric. Because really, if you listen to the lyrics, it's, it's not about vacationing with a bunch of people, it's about going off by yourself. It is, yeah. Um, just recently, uh, you know, of course, we're teachers, so we had a week off at spring break, and I literally, probably for the first time in my life, did absolutely nothing. My wife was working, I had no obligations, I had no appointments, and uh, I just sat around the house and did nothing, and it was
1: great. Hmm. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it really is nice, isn't it? I, I love I love the me time. I don't know that I like sitting in the house. I'm, I'm too much of a busybody. Like COVID killed me. I, I, I had the worst case of cabin fever for that year and a half. But certainly, I I have no problem entertaining myself by myself. So I'm with you.
0: Yep. Great Definitely. choice. Good. Good starting song too. All right. That's all. That's it. Okay. So my number one pick is from a band known as uh, Thirty Eight Special.
1: Oh. Know. You know
0: how they got their name?
1: Uh, I always assumed it was the gun.
0: I mean, it is, but yeah, how they but arrived at that? No. They were they were rehearsing in a barn, and the neighbors were complaining that they were too loud, so the police showed up. Um, somehow, they were, they were padlocked in. I don't know if a neighbor padlocked them in so they couldn't leave so they could be arrested. I didn't really get why it was padlocked.
1: If that's true, that is hilarious. <laughs> so,
0: but the police couldn't get in, and they couldn't get out. So the police officer on the other side of the door said, don't worry, this thirty-eight special will take care of it, and he fired the you know, and shot the padlock to get him out. And they said, you know what? We've been looking for a name. Let's go with 38 Special.
1: Really? Yeah, yeah. I never knew that. That is, that's a great story.
0: 38 Special, I'm going with, and there are a couple um, great great tunes from this era from them. But I'm going to go with Caught Up In You. And it's from the album Special Forces, and the song went to number 10, and the lead singer is Donnie Van Zant. and if that name sounds familiar to you, that's because he is the younger brother of Ronnie Van Zant, yep. who, of course, was the original lead singer of Lynyrd Skynyrd before he died in a plane crash in 1977. Um, so, like Lynyrd Skynyrd, 38 Special are Southern Rockers, although they never quite got the respect of other bands like Lynyrd Skynyrd. Um, I was going to ask you, why do you think that is? Are they just a little too polished? Were they a little too pop? I mean, you can talk about Leonard Skinnerd and people will, will give the respect of, yeah, they were a solid Southern rock band. Right. When you mention, I mean, I've seen 38 Special ridiculed on like Beavis and Butthead and other other shows where people make fun of old videos. Granted, their videos weren't great, but um, I am a little bit surprised that they're just kind of seen as a guilty pleasure. Yeah. I, even though they are a little bit softer and, and more polished than you know, those other I, bands.
1: I never understood that because I always thought that, I always thought they were rockers i mean i you know i was just, what nine ten years old at this time but to me you put them next to to azizi top for instance and I, I really don't hear much of a difference i mean it's, it's very much in the same vein but they were they were they were kind of like the nickelback of the 80s they, they never got the, they the never respect. got the respect um and i don't understand why i yeah i, I i'm with you I, I have no idea
0: and what else here's another uh, interesting story i thought was 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 Cool. The younger brother. So when you know Donny is forming this band, and of course he has an older brother uh, who's famous. Not not to mention all the other people that he. I'm sure he knows um, that are part of Leonard Skinner. Uh, but his brother refused to really help him out at the beginning. Um, he wanted Donny to go through the same type of um, you know playing the dives, playing to houses of of three people, you know, in, in some bar with a bunch of drunk people for several years. Hmm. Um, which was smart because because a band builds character right when you oh, do that yeah. and you learn to appreciate um, when fame if fame does come and so after about I don't know three four five years of, of kind of um, of course he passes in 77 so I'm guessing before then you know they were playing they doing their garage band circuit thing um, but, but eventually um he said, "Okay, you've earned your stripes now. I'll start introducing you to my manager and to producers." And, and so they did have a little bit of a help, you know, getting um, onto the mainstream or at least having, getting a record deal, um, but he had earned it first, so huh. that was kind of cool.
1: That is cool. I, um, now, I'm curious uh, were they, were they housed? I mean, were they in Alabama? based band i believe or? so okay I, well no no
0: you know what um florida actually florida florida okay. they're from florida. actually yeah you yeah
1: uh, I, my mistake leonard skinner was a florida band i, I knew that they um uh, their their song was just a response to uh neil young to neil young southern man right um but but i do know leonard skinner often recorded at fame studios muscle shoals yes yeah did uh 30th i don't know i didn't
0: i didn't come across
1: that so very cool. No, I I know very little about Thirty Eight Special. I've always liked their music.
0: Yeah, no, it it does have a a poppy feel to much, much much poppier than than say Leonard Skinner and uh, where are some other Southern rock bands. I'm it, they're eluding me now. Yeah, uh, you know, there's a handful all, of them. Allman Brothers. Allman Brothers, of course, um, right.
1: Who else? There's uh, oh, there's so many.
0: Right, <laughs> I just can't think of them. <laughs> totally
1: blanking. Yeah.
0: Right, but um, but it was nice, you know, not to go off on a whole other tangent, so I won't. But I'll, I'll just say that you know, country music is country music, but. Other genres have flirted with country music in some form or another, for the throughout the rock era, right? With right. southern rock, and then you have, um, you know, alt country. Eventually, would come into being in the in the nineties. Um, you have artists like Neil Young. You know, it has one one foot in the rock camp and a few toes in the country camp, and. Um, I, I always wonder, I, I, I call it all Americana, by the way. It's all kind of Americana music, but it it's interesting to me. Like, you know, when when John Denver began to be popular in, what, 1970 mid-70s, and the establishment, the country establishment completely rejected him, you know, because he got airplay on pop radio. Yeah. In fact, when he won, I think, the CMA... Um, artist of the year, they burned the, the card on the award show on national TV. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, the Will Smith thing that, oh, yeah. that just happened this yeah. spring, but um, yeah, they, they they hated John Denver. Yeah, they, they hated did. And they hated the outlaw country artists, the Willie Nelsons and the Waylon Jennings and so forth. So um, I always think it's really interesting what's considered pure country and what's a delusion of country, and Southern Rock was definitely part of that.
1: Yeah, it was. Well, I, Southern Rock, I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to rack my brain. The Eagles, yeah, course,
0: oh yeah. That Laurel Canyon sound, yeah, I, was was very definitely.
1: Marshall Tucker Band, right? Um, yeah, that, that, there were so many. I'm just I'm I'm blanking. So um, very cool. I, you you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay. So that's, uh,
0: people consider it a guilty pleasure. Whatever, I like it.
1: I well, I do too. All right, here is the big one uh, for me anyway, because this is one of the very first music videos that I I remember. I was. Tuned into this, I was uh, just, you know, just beginning to, to really uh, have interest in the fairer sex. So this this video was I was all about this video. Um, this one, my number two pick, it was number one on the Hot 100 uh, for a record seven weeks. Uh, it is by.
0: Is a row. Well, hey, dude, was nine, so I was at a record seven weeks.
1: Well, uh, for the band.
0: Oh, for the band, okay, gotcha.
1: Um, I mean, that's
0: pretty impressive, seven weeks for anybody, but yeah. yeah.
1: Um, No, because they, well, I'll I'll give a bit of history here shortly. Um, It's the Jay Giles Band, and it is from the 1981 album, Freeze Frame. Um, This song, though, was released in 82, and it is Centerfold. Really, I, th- I think Senator I actually I like freeze frame more. better. Do you really?
0: Yeah.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: So it's not even my favorite. Jake Isles fan, our song.
1: <laughs> Interesting. Okay. No, I, I. There's just something about the na na nas. I, I.
0: Which is basically I, the Smurfs.
1: It is. Who who ripped <laughs> it, off whom? In fairness, did the
0: Smurfs come out or the Smiths. Ah, the Smiths. My brain. Long COVID, <laughs> folks. Long COVID. Did the Smurfs come out cartoon before? I think it was after.
1: I'm pretty sure. It was but after.
0: but the la la's are very very similar. In melodic na, na, composition, na, na, na,
1: na. wow, they really are. You didn't, never I've, recognized. I've never, that? never really thought about that.
0: Uh, <laughs> when, you, Sorry, I've just you ruined just, your favorite just song. Totally ruined
1: it. <laughs> I have to go back to "Take on Me." I guess is the number one. All right. Anyway, um, or or come on, Eileen, that might be up there too. Um, all right. Well, the Jay Giles band they signed originally with Atlantic Records in 1970, and and they made a name for themselves. They were a, a blues band. J. Giles was a blues-based band, um, and they, they they were really known, they were renowned as a great live act, primarily. Uh, in 78, they left Atlantic and they signed with EMI. Freeze Frame was their third album under the new label, and when signed to Atlantic, originally as a blues-based band, they chose their own singles, but EMI did not give them that same freedom. EMI picked the singles for them, and, and Centerfold was the lead single, uh, and it was handsomely rewarded it, it did it went to uh number one stayed there for seven weeks and, and, and it helped really to send the album to the top spot um it was the album itself Reese frame was number one on the the hot 200 albums uh for a very long time i'm i i do not have how long here but centerfold though it was a music departure musical departure for the band you know it, it traded their their blues leanings for a, a new wave sound very very similar to what the cars and the police have been doing up to this point um, it was also their biggest hit and and that's that's what I was getting at uh, it, it earned them a slot touring with the Rolling Stones it, it earned them the cover of Rolling Stone magazine it was in heavy rotation on a very new cable network called MTV um, and and the video do you remember the video oh yeah, yeah
0: I believe he's in a classroom he's in he a classroom up on the desk but then every desk has a different model in lingerie correct yeah.
1: well they weren't no they weren't or a,
0: they are walking around they're walking
1: around they're just uh, in, not,
0: and it wasn't, it's a bit misogynistic if yeah, I recall it wasn't
1: that. lingerie though oh okay. this is where this is where that, that fetish that so many people I think uh, I think it, this is where it may come from long before Britney Spears all the girls were in the Catholic schoolgirl uniforms.
0: Oh, because he's so, remembering back to when yeah, he knew the girl in exactly, high school. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: Um, the song was written by the band's keyboard player, uh, Seth Justman, who, who wrote or co-wrote all the tracks on Freeze Frame. Um, he insists that the reason you didn't hear much synthesizer on earlier Jake Isle's albums was because you, they couldn't afford them, that, that simple. Uh, the band was trapped in, in a record company debt cycle, constantly owing money despite their success. But this song, it changed everything. And, and this is the song that, um, you say you like Freeze Frame better, Freeze is a great song as well. But this is the song that, without question, Jay Giles is remembered for, for centerfold, I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, Freeze um, Frame was the first, one of the first singles I owned, because I remember that video, and oh, for a kid.
1: They were painting in that yeah. video, weren't think they?
0: think about it, at 10 years old, okay, throwing paint on each other, <laughs> one another was a lot more interesting than the whole sexual,
1: yeah. Um, yeah.
0: I, I, sexual thrust of the video. Excuse it the was, pun. Yeah. Um, now, as I got older and, and saw the video, I, I appreciated it in that light. But Yeah.
1: Um, now, The Lingerie, I, I'm wondering if you're confusing it with uh, uh, Talking
0: in Your talking Sleep. Talking in Your Sleep. I think I romantics. am. Yep. Because yeah. by that point, I was interested. Right. Yeah,
1: that was uh, 84, I think. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah, that one was The Lingerie. Uh, but anyway, this song, it, it's about a guy, of course, who had a crush on a sweet, innocent girl. Uh, in his home room in high school, um, I've always questioned: is, was her name Angel, or was he was that his pet name for her? I, I don't know. Doesn't matter I, but it works. Doesn't. Yeah, I looked it up. There has not been in the history of the magazine. There has never been a centerfold for Playboy magazine with the name Angel.
0: Do you think this is autobiographical? I don't know. See, I always just assumed it. Was I, I assumed it fiction, was fiction, but,
1: but I, I don't know. But yeah, there has never been an Angel who has been who has posed as centerfold for the magazine. I just thought I'd look it up. Um, years later though In this song He's looking through The girly magazine He sees his homeroom angel His crush on Or rather As the centerfold And it rocks his world I think what a lot of people A lot of people Don't listen to lyrics Like you're 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 not a A, a lyrics guy No no You're not. music first We've talked about that before A lot of people I think mistakenly Think he's very excited When he sees The the centerfold He sees his homeroom angel On the pages in between It's not actually the case um, if you listen to the lyrics of the song, he's actually very disappointed. I mean, he's not titillated at all. He's, he's very disappointed because he his says, blood runs cold. Yeah, his memory. His memory has been sold. Has been sold. Yeah. He. Um, and and he even says, "I, you know, I, I hope to see you when you're." clothes are on you know it's uh
0: isn't there a verse where he says let's meet in a hotel and you can well, take yeah, them off again take them <laughs> off in,
1: but but take them off in private nah, yeah, okay, is, okay, is yeah, okay. yeah i always i love the line because he he says well take your car and drive it i i don't know if he didn't have a car or he didn't time. want
0: anyone to know or,
1: or or he did yeah maybe or or maybe being a center he thought that she would have a, a you know a, a choice ride i I don't know but
0: i'm sure well never mind.
1: yeah Oh, I see where you were. I, I see, see what you did. I see what you did not do there. <laughs> but, um, nonetheless, yeah, I, I love Centerfold. It is definitely, if not my favorite, it's it's top two or three. For yeah, for good choice. So
0: definitely, yep. All right. Well, I'm gonna um, turn to a female, and second female uh, vocalist of the show so far, uh, Stevie Nicks, and oh, yes. Edge of Seventeen. Debut solo album after she um, broke away from uh, Fleetwood Mac, and uh, the album was called Belladonna. The song went to number eleven, and the song stayed on the Billboard charts for nearly. Uh, or the album, I'm sorry, the album stayed on the Billboard charts for nearly three years. Really? So yeah, that for long? yeah, and I don't know this for sure, but I got the impression that the record company wasn't sure that it, that because you know, solo female vocalists didn't really make it much. I mean, right. there are exceptions. Yeah, in but the, on the pop chart, it was yeah, not then. Yeah, and if you think about it, the first several, at least two, singles off the album were duets with
1: men. Yeah,
0: Leather and Lace, Leather and Lace with and Don Henley. Stop dragging, dragging my heart around. Stop dragging my heart around, Tom Petty. Yeah. So I felt I feel like the record company said, "Okay, we'll let you have your own little solo album here, but the first few singles have to be with known male artists, and if those do well, then we'll let you release singles yeah. um, on your own." So I'm not sure if that's true or not, but.
1: The thing is, she she was already a, a known commodity. I mean, Fleetwood yeah, Mac. Sure, of course. Yeah, everybody
0: knew Stevie. And, 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 and a lot of people realize, as a songwriter, she wasn't just a pretty face and a quirky personality who was able to sing with that breathy, sexy voice. She wrote Landslide. Oh, yeah. She wrote Dreams. She wrote all of these songs, uh, or co-wrote some of them, but, but she was involved in that process. She was a very prolific and talented songwriter in her own right. Hmm. So, yeah. But... Um, let me just start at the beginning of the song one of the most iconic intros of, of any 80s music oh yeah okay
1: I always confused it with Eye of the Tiger though
0: very similar very similar it's got those 16th notes um, and a little guitar effect over top of it and yeah. kind of a little bit of reverb with the 16th notes but very very iconic um Nick's, a lot of people don't realize you mentioned Jay Giles had a whole other life before their pop popularity, so to Cleveland Mac, they were a blues band as well, I believe dating back to the the late 60s. Oh, yeah. Um, And they became more pop as time went on. But then when they added uh, Lindsey Buckingham's girlfriend, who was Stevie Nicks, uh, she was his girlfriend at the time. In fact, I think um, Nix and Buckingham released an album, like a, just the two of them. It, it, prior to 1975, it didn't do very well. Mm-hmm. But the band saw the talent um, that existed with Stevie, and so they invited her into the band. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's when they really took off uh, in, in a pop sense. Um, I believe... She also wrote, uh, what were some of the, I'm trying to think of some of her singles Re- on the previous record.
1: Oh, um, on the previous, Stand Back, uh, Talk To Me.
0: No, no, I'm talking about Fleetwood Mac, oh, before Fleetwood. before Rumors. Oh, you had Rhiannon. Re- um, yeah, 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 right, right. You right. had... Uh, With Sarah on that one as well.
1: Yeah, Sarah, Rhiannon, you had... Uh, oh, I'm... I'm I'm drawing yeah, a blank. but I'm yeah, you can Max. see
0: Stevie Nicks is, is drawing a lot over. of
1: blanks on this episode. On <laughs> so. there. We, yeah,
0: we're a little rusty, folks. Uh, but yeah, like you said, she had it all—the writing chops, uh, that rough, sexy voice, the persona. You know, there were all these theories, and maybe they were half true—that she was like a Wiccan and she was into witchcraft. No, it's true.
1: Yeah, that's, that's true. But she's, she, she's, I've, I've, yeah, she's definitely a, a, a witch.
0: She had that dark personality, and, and yeah. her uh, costume, stage apparel, whatever, was very a lot of scarves and. Just yep. something you didn't really see at the time in pop rock music. And so you talk about a feminist, uh, you know, ideal where she came out and basically decided to uh, take things into her own hand and, and be her own person and not let some producer tell her what to be.
1: Yep. Now, she she uh, she was a force to be reckoned with and, and still is in many respects. I mean, she's one of the most revered artists. She was uh, well, she was the first female artist to be inducted into the rock hall twice. With flew
0: back in on Flea her own. Mac
1: in on her own. Um and of course Tina Turner just matched her. Um right. but uh you yeah, know Stevie Nicks she is she is wicked. I know that for for certain. Um but you know it's kind of funny because Lindsey Buckingham, he had a solo release in '82 as mm-hmm. well, and I that was
0: I, was go insane. Was that the song, or was that a? Ple- um, I think it was go insane.
1: Well, yeah, I think that was one, but Trouble was the, Trouble. the other mm-hmm. one. Trouble yep, was yep. Uh, Trouble was the bigger release, but he didn't. His chart performance came nowhere near right. Stevie's. I mean, she she he played, brought her along, and then she took over. She took over one hundred percent. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, the, so, the
0: the title came from I think now I think the story. If I remember correctly was had to do with Tom Petty Tom Petty's girlfriend maybe I might be wrong on Tom Petty but I think it was it
1: was, it was Tom Petty
0: and she with was talking to the accent. girlfriend and yeah. asked what um how they met and the girlfriend said uh, at the age of 17 but because of her southern accent Stevie Nicks misheard it as the edge of 17 and thought it was so poetic and that yeah. became the basis for this song lyrically
1: edge of 17 makes would make make them would make her 16 I suppose <laughs> <laughs> so um Tom Petty is uh, Robbing the cradle there, a bit. Right. Uh, Well, seventeen, I, I guess, is still a minor. But uh, now,
0: now, being not, not being able to hear lyrics very well, maybe part of the reasons why I don't pay attention to lyrics. But I'm one of those people that just mishears it all the time. So I never understood she was was saying like a, like a white winged dove. Yeah. Um, I had all sorts of different as a kid trying to understand what she was saying. Of course, we couldn't look it up on the internet. But right. Now
1: I know it's a white winged yeah. dove. White winged dove uh, sings a song. Sounds like she's singing. And then, and then the she, oohs, she right. coos. Yeah. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby.
0: I, I, at one point, I thought it was the one, one-armed one girl or something. I'm like, <laughs> That's
1: a one-armed girl. That is great. Uh, <laughs> too funny. Uh, no, I, it's a great song, Edge of Seventeen. And, and it's such a rocker. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, it, it's this was not a pop tune right. by any stretch.
0: Yeah, I mean, Stand Back and some of those became more poppy. But yeah. uh, this one was definitely a rocker.
1: All right. Well, my third song... Um, This one uh, reached number 12 on the Hot 182, came from the album Friend or Foe, and it is by Adam Ant. The name of the song was Goody Two Shoes. Are you adamant about that? What's that?
0: Are you adamant about that? I I am. Oh, that was good. (laughs)
1: As far as puns go, that was pretty good.
2: and a treasure, in the treasure token
1: token pride and i'm not I'm not good 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 but Goody Two Shoes was his first, his biggest, really his only hit in the was US. Was this his
0: first solo album? Yes. Because he was Adam and the Ants before, exactly. then he went solo, right? yeah, no yeah.
1: this was his solo album, um, the debut. Um, the song really, it, it became a hit in the US, but it was mainly due to heavy rotation in MTV. Um, they introduced Americans to his outrageous costumes as Wild Charisma and the like. Um, Adam Ant, he was born Stuart Leslie Goddard. Um, and the name Adam Ant came to him after watching the Sex Pistols play their first gig in 1975. Uh, after seeing the Pistols, um, he wanted to do something different, be someone else, and he couldn't work out who or what. So, in an interview with Rolling Stone, he actually said he renamed himself Adam Ant um, because he said, I really knew I wanted to be Adam because Adam was the first man. Ant I chose because if there's a nuclear explosion, the ants will survive. Okay. I, yeah, I, I read that and I thought, I, there's nothing I guess it's better than
0: Adam Cockroach.
1: Well, yeah. I, 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 or Adam
0: I, Twinkie. Give him Adam Twinkie.
1: Twinkies can last, I think, probably and in, well into like the 22nd century. <laughs> I am fairly certain. Um, but yeah, he, he formed his own band. They were called the B-Sides. Um, and Lester Square and Andy Warren, they, they were his bandmates. In 77 together with drummer Paul Flanagan, they went on tour uh, and they f- they rebranded themselves. They named themselves Adam and the Ants, as you said. Um, well, initially, they were just The Ants. Uh, but their inaugural band meeting when they when they chose their name, Adam and the Ants, they were actually in the audience at a Susie and the Banshees performance at the Roxy Club in London. But Adam and the Ants, they, they started as part of this burgeoning punk rock uh, movement. And from 77 to 79, the band toured extensively around the UK, but they proved to be unpopular with much of the British music press because they, they, they were so fetishistic in, in their lyrics and in their imagery. So looking for change, Adam, Ant, uh, Ant, I don't know, it sounds weird just to refer to him as Ant, uh, last name only, he, he approached the Sex Pistols manager, uh, Malcolm McLaren, and asked him to manage the band. Well, mclaren then uh in, in this act of betrayal he actually introduced the ants to a young girl named annabella Lewen. and um he talked the ants into leaving adam and they formed a new band with uh this annabella lewin and and named themselves bow wow wow so i and, want candy yeah I, I did not know that it was mutiny i mean adam just lost his entire band um, he did re, uh, he brought new musicians in, but the, the second formation of the Ants didn't work well. And finally, as a solo artist in 82, he, he released this album and he struck gold. Um, the song actually was really a, a commentary on the press, on the paparazzi, on, on things of that nature. Um, he, he wrote it when he was dealing with this everlasting intrusion. By the press, I guess it would be how I'd explain it. Um, they were always asking about his personal life, which was great fodder for the tabloids always. And Adamant was a very intriguing character with a colorful past. But um, while he sought out attention for his act, he preferred to keep his personal life private. And in the 80s, that was much easier to do. Um, by the 80s, his only vice was sex. <laughs> And he did not drink, he did not do drugs, he didn't even smoke. And, you know, this led to predictable questions from the press wondering if he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't do drugs, then what exactly did he do? He let the reporters write the song for him. Interesting. It it was that simple. Yeah. So, yeah, Goody Two Shoes. It was just sort of an answer back manifesto, I guess, Uh, just trying to keep things level. Um, Adamant, you know, he said that. Uh, he feels that and and he he still feels this way to a degree that going on stage is creating an illusion it's magical it's wonderful and he loves doing it but off stage he says there has to be a time out so that's the history of Goody Two Shoes
0: yeah yeah i'm not a huge fan you know and the, and the song's okay I, I never really dug it as a kid and, and i respect it yeah I, it's I, not just, one of my favorites. I just love
1: the percussion oh I mean, yeah the percussion it's so percussive heavy that
0: and the, the horns in there and oh yeah, yeah
1: yeah the horn blasts and the like so but if we're talking obscure tracks i mean this one i who who talks about goody two-shoes yeah, yeah in 2022 right you
0: know definitely that so, fits that fits all right, I'm going to go on. Uh, you're finished with that? Yes. Yes. I am okay. finished, yep. um, My next one is by Kim Wilde and Kids in America. By
1: a British artist. A British artist. <laughs> I, I always loved that.
0: her eponymously, eponymously <laughs> named debut album and went to number 25. So again, it wasn't a huge uh, chart top, but definitely hit the top 40. Um, she was this kind of Blondie-esque British new wave rocker. Um, and I'm sorry, but she was everything that was right about that genre and that time. Oh yeah. You know, I just And she was pretty much a one hit wonder in two the hit, early 80s. Two hit wonder. Well, oh, let me finish. Sorry, okay, I said she was sorry. pretty much a one hit wonder in the early 80s. Okay. In the United States. But she continued to record 13 more albums, and she was huge in the UK. In fact, she was the biggest-selling female vocalist of the 80s in the UK.
1: Really, the biggest? The biggest. I didn't know that.
0: But she did have, in the late 80s, she did have... A uh, number one hit from yeah. uh, her remake of the Supremes' "Keep Me Hanging On."
1: Okay, so you said early. I'm, I'm sorry. That's okay. No, I no, no. Didn't, shouldn't have interrupted. You said early. Yeah. Of but
0: first. she recorded yeah. between between um, 1982 and 2018. She has 13 studio albums. Really, she's just huge in the UK. But we have those those two singles yeah. basically.
1: Well, and it's funny because um, you keep me hanging on. That was the much bigger hit. It was number one. Right. No one remembers her version of that song. No, right.
0: I, she's remembered. For I was thinking it was Taylor Dane for a while. Really, then. I forgot yeah. it was. No, she's Kim Wilde. she's
1: she's remembered for the lesser hit. She's she's known today for Kids in America. But what was it? Uh, I think it's Clueless. I think Clueless had a, a cover version uh, of Kids in America. Might have even been uh, during the opening credits. Um, so, I think a lot of a lot of people remember the song. They may not remember Kim Wilde's version. Um, I love it.
0: No, I love it too. And even though it, it clearly is new wave, in fact, the uh, keyboard parts were inspired by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, aka OMD. Um, it, it still feels like a rocker to me. It still has that oh, yeah. that that energy. It still. Uh, it encapsulates that again I don't listen to lyrics so I'm not exactly sure what the song is about but about, to me Rebellious Teenagers yeah it's
1: about kids in America okay there's right, right. <laughs> really nothing uh, particularly
0: and it just out. has that vibe of like the song should play over a bunch of kids just like I don't know hitting mailboxes with baseball bats or just doing wow. if, if I were to create okay. the video it would be like just kids doing stupid things because they're kids huh. I don't
1: know. <laughs> oh, I, I agree with stupid things being kids. I don't know that I'd go. I don't know why. I don't know I that I'd go that, federal, but, uh, you know, a f- felony at the, but, uh, at the federal level. But um, the
0: song just gets me going. I mean, if, if I'm dragging or I don't feel like taking on some particular task, I can just put this song on, crank it. And it's, it's like a, a drug of motivation. It just gets me going. Love this tune. In fact, I'd, I'd be tempted to make it my alarm. Ringtone you know, when I wake up in the morning, but anytime I do that, I end up ruining the song because yeah, yeah. then I associate it with the pain of waking up in the morning. Yep. I did that with Queen's um, "Don't Don't Stop Me Now," so I can't listen to that song without <laughs> remembering the pain of waking up in the morning.
1: See, and that one's that that's, that that hurts me because that's my favorite. Queen oh, I love
0: song. the song. It's just yeah. I use it as my wake up ringtone. Right, don't but do I'm, that, I'm, folks. Yeah,
1: don't don't ever do
0: that. <laughs> but this song gets me going. Great. And,
1: you know what I had for my ringtone for a while? Hmm. Um, my my older son Joel he he basically show, uh, he gave me the link it, it was just Michael Jackson uh, doing all of his various like he he's and, oh. and the like oh, yeah, was... just his panting and it is the wildest thing if you just hear a string of Michael it's like three minutes long because it
0: it's, it's never put me in a bad mood though right away
1: oh but it's, it's really <laughs> I, I found it hilarious it just sounds <laughs> it sounds so bizarre so ridiculous i had it as my ringtone for a while and yeah my wife was not happy she she put an end to that in her <laughs> i now
0: wake up to the television the television turns on the timer and of course then i'm listening to the news and then i incorporate the news into my dreams and it's really weird but it's better than having music
1: yeah yeah i'm i i do not know 2022 you, you probably if you're incorporating it into your dreams those dreams become nightmares pretty quickly <laughs> yeah. um no I, I do I love Kids in America and it, it's funny because you say you know it still sounds like rock and roll well, that's Bella Joel was making a point with that yes you know? he was still rock and roll to me Yep, um, new wave I, I, I don't you know looking at it as someone who grew up with the music I look back and yeah it's very synth heavy new wave but I don't hear a lot of difference between new wave artists in 82 and rock artists in 82 I mean other than the synthesizer, it's, it's you know, you still have that driving beat. It, it's, it's rock and well, roll. Well,
0: someone like Elvis Costello, I agree. Someone like the choir, some of their songs were so heavily synthesized. Yeah. They were still, obviously, pop melodies, but it, it didn't sound as much rock yeah, as okay. it did New yeah, Wave. Yeah, I'll give it you that. It depends on the artist.
1: But, I mean, you look at someone, you look, like, look at an act like The Police. You right. Know? Now, they were reggae heavy, but sure. they were New Wave, but that, you know, they, they were, yes. without question, they were... Rockers, you know, right, definitely. It. So, yeah, it's it's just interesting because I, 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 I a,
0: suppose the term is new wave of rock. I mean, that's really well, what you yeah, are saying. a new is. wave of rock and roll. So. But
1: it, it, it's kind of funny if we were ever to do just a strictly a new wave episode, I might actually have difficulty figuring out what is and isn't new wave at times. Um, it's one of the genre subgenres that I've I've always struggled with because it, to me, it's just it all of it is just 80s music.
0: You yeah. Know, but there's, like I say there's a difference between, like I say Joe Jackson who has a lot of jazz influence as well. Right, absolutely. And and somebody like um um who was I th- oh, like Pet Shop Boys or something.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Pet Shop Boys when you get into the you know, the the dance music right, right. and you know, just the, the electronica and the like. Um it's funny you should say Joe Jackson. I almost put Steppin' Out on my Good song. list. Great I came song. I came so Stepping Out was actually one of my 12 early and then I, I let it go. But um in fact I let it go for this next song.
0: Alright, what is so it? So it's
1: it's a great uh great lead in. Uh my next song, uh it reached number four on the Hot One Hundred. Um it was actually it was an all-star lineup, this band. You had John Wetton from King Crimson, you had Steve Howe from Yes, Carl Palmer from Emerson Lake and Palmer, and Jeff Downs who was uh also in yes but he was also a member of the buggles (laughs) so you know take that for what it is but you had all these prog rockers right Mm -hmm. and they came together it was really one of the early 80s super groups uh they formed the band asia and uh asia is uh, man they were they were solid rockers i was i was listening to them again preparing for this episode and it still they, they kind of blow me away and, it,
0: it's what happens when prog rockers try to make pop music Yeah, it still has a proggy feel to it kind of like when genesis began to become more pop uh,
1: yeah but absolutely. still
0: maintained that progressive uh, credibility
1: yeah i but i was listening to them and i i, I owned asia uh, their their title was eponymously um, or their their first album was eponymously titled it was asia and then alpha was their second album i owned the first two they had the second
0: th- one had Don't Cry on it, Don't right? Cry. Don't Cry, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Um, and then they also released a third album, Astro. I never owned Astral. But um, I went with their biggest hit. It reached number four, as I said. It was the heat of the moment.
2: Said that I would never do, a look from you and I would fall from grace, and that would wipe the smile right from my face.
1: And, uh he, he, he wrote the song, uh, which describes an intense relationship between a young couple and you know questions of what, what will happen when they get older. Uh, it was the last song that the band recorded for the album, but it ended up being the first single. And I guess that, that same thing happened on the next two Asia albums. Um, it was always the final song recorded, was the was the first single released? Don't Cry on Alpha wh- was the same way.
0: So their second album was named Alpha. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah. And um, Wetten Wetten has said that he thinks the the last song recorded uh, was always chosen as the the first as the lead single because the band tended to be very focused by the last song. So take that for what it is. But you know, Saying Sorry, I love this song because Saying Sorry in a song it became commonplace in hair metal. You know the those bands you don't like (laughs) a few years later but in 82 you rarely heard a rocker apologize for anything it just it that didn't happen it was considered wimpy you know Uh, this song however it begins with contrition i mean wetton sings i never meant to be so bad to you um and in an interview with with song facts actually wetton said um the whole song is just an apology it's just saying I, i effed up um, I, I hold my hand out. I got it wrong. I never meant to be like that. I don't want it to be like that. I'm sorry. Um, apparently, he wasn't concerned about macho posturing at all when he wrote the song. He was trying to bear his soul in the manner of uh, his favorite uh, songwriter, his songwriter idol named Joni Mitchell, hmm. uh, which I that kind of surprised me. I did not know that I don't associate Joni Mitchell with prog rock. I guess which, she's more
0: the Laurel Canyon group. Yeah, uh,
1: yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, this first-person emotive style—you um, know—it is. It's very typical of Mitchell, and it was a big influence on on this song and other songs from Asia's debut album. Uh, there was a specific person Wetton was singing about on the track. It was his girlfriend Jill, who would later become his wife. The couple did divorce after ten years of marriage, though. And and this was the. It was the group's biggest hit. Uh, Asia scored another U.S. Top 10 on their next album. Uh, we already talked about it, which was Don't Cry. They had a, a modest hit with Only Time Will Tell, if you remember that one. Um, but uh, they disbanded in the late 80s. They never returned to the top 40 upon their return. And later Asia material, um, which I didn't even know there was later Asian material, but I, I started listening to it just to just to get a sample, it, much more true to the progressive rock roots. Yeah, I'm sure. And it's yeah. not... Uh,
0: not they like, just wanted to make some money.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I love I loved Asia, and it's another one of those bands. I don't think I've heard anyone discuss Asia in 40 years. I mean, they just they've they just kind of disappeared from from the popular cultural lexicon. So that
0: was my well. We four. we just talked about how they definitely have those mm-hmm. progressive cre- credentials. Um, now I um, should say our brother or sister podcast, Project Gen X, the one that we are. Um, participating with um several projects collaborating um not too long ago had had an episode and i haven't listened to it um but they're actually talking about 1982 as as well okay and maybe i didn't want to listen to it because i didn't want to (laughs) steal any of their material (laughs) i'll listen to it later but in the in the teaser paragraph they mentioned they have a discussion as to whether or not asia is should be considered hard rock hard rock yeah that was interesting yeah I um, I mean they definitely have that that loud guitar presence they,
1: they do uh they do uh, to me though it's 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 too polished I mean it's it's definitely to me it ha- always had a, a pop feel it's it's a rock song right right but it you know we were talking about 30th special being polished to me Asia in those first two albums at least they were very they, they were just very Big pop leanings, I, I think. I wouldn't go hard rock, but I'd be interested to hear. We need to listen to that. And yeah, what you know, their their justification would be interesting to hear.
0: All right. Yep. You're I'm, done. Okay. okay. Yep. All right. My next one here's one. In some of these, see, I tested my list with my wife. I do that a lot, and it was, it was a lot of the songs. Was well, she said, you know, oh yeah, I know that one. I'm like, yeah, because I, I play it all the time. <laughs> but there were a lot where at first, you know, I would start playing it, and she'd be like. I don't think so and then the hook would hit and she's like oh of course you know mm-hmm. um, and, and, and this is one of the or these, this song is one of those um, songs here and that's uh, IGY by Donald Fagan I'm yeah. Imagine that most people, if you were to, to lay the title down on them, they would have no idea what the song um, entailed. But if you were begin playing the song, they would recognize yeah. it.
1: Yeah, well, and The Nightfly. It,
0: it, oh, one of the great songs. Oh, it is, of all time. it is
1: amazing. I mean, it's for all intents and purposes, I hear it and I still think. It, it's a Steely Dan It's
0: Steely Dan, Dan without Walter yeah, Becker. Yeah, it's a
1: Steely Dan album, without yeah. question.
0: And, of course, Steely Dan was always Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, and then everybody else, the who's who in oh, yeah. jazz and rock and session musicians, including Michael McDonald. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, Donald Fagan is the primary songwriter, um, as, as well as the, the lead vocalist. So it sounds very, very similar without yep. Becker's guitar. Um, but this is IGY, which um, subtitled What a Beautiful World. Um, it's, you mentioned um, his first solo record away from Celia and The Nightfly. This song hit number 26. Um, the, IGY, which was the first single, um, is a glimpse into a potential utopian future, at least from 1957's perspective. Uh, IGY stands for International Geophysical Year, which was an actual event That ran from July 1957 to December 1958. And it was launched to promote collaboration between international scientists. Really? Yeah. This whole album, The Nightfly, is kind of a love letter to the the baby boomers' past of of the 60s. You have. the, the New Frontier, of right. course. He has a, a cover of Ruby Baby. The whole album is kind of a nostalgic look back at his, his childhood. Okay. And so in 1957, 58, and of course, with the World Fairs becoming more popular, and you mentioned Epcot, right? Walt oh, Disney yes. was a huge futurist. And there was this idea of what, you know, now that you know, World War II is over and the 50s was such a generation of, of um, what am I looking for, a generation of, I don't want to say, just prosperity, I guess I should say, economically, People were just looking ahead to the future, saying, "This is great." This is when the whole idea of flying cars and everything, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of got into the uh, to the psyche. So uh, he basically wrote this as if he were somebody maybe attending this conference, listening to these scientists talk about, you know, spandex jackets for everybody, being able to go to New York to Paris in ninety minutes under a you know a tunnel, you know, through the Atlantic Ocean, and just all these great advancements. In a way, though, he's kind of also poking fun. There's a little bit of a satirical element to it. Oh, right? just
1: just the the title track, I mean, right? You know, the, the the shock, the late night jockey. You know, making fun and ridiculing the the callers. So well,
0: for that's that's the nightfly song itself, right? But, yeah. yeah, yeah, the nightfly. But but an IG, igy too is, is somewhat satirical because. And that's Donald Fagan, right? I mean, he's, he's got right. that little bit of an edge to him, which is what I love. But he's kind of taking that optimism, but he's also kind of sneering at it just a little bit, you know, this, this post-war optimism. Um, maybe because obviously we can look back and, and hindsight's twenty twenty, as they say. So we, we don't have a world quite as utopian as that, right? And maybe saying that people are a little bit naive to think that. Yeah. but he takes the voice of one of those people back then believing that this could happen that we would have this perfect society yeah. so it's just a nice little number for all of those reasons
1: it, it has just an amazing hook you know I, it's it, it's a silly damn album it's a silly damn song I, I I love the Nightfly so I, I, I was thrilled that you Included
0: it. and one of the lyric and when I listened to it as a kid, I thought it was about the future. I didn't know it was retro future, so to speak, mm, gotcha. but when he mentions seventy uh, six he's talking about the bicentennial yeah. saying that you know a generation of the future, these great things will will come to pass hmm.
1: yeah i um, thank you i mean that was i I knew nothing about the album other than the fact that I own it, and I enjoy it, so that that's so he was you want to talk about a concept album i mean that that is pretty oh yeah that is that's some pretty heavy stuff actually i'm
0: yeah or the, the song The Night Fly what would be more of his love of late night DJs independent DJs oh yeah yeah. back during that time period where you could turn on the middle of the night and some guy smoking a pack of Lucky Strikes yeah just playing whatever comes into his mind
1: and what, what is, I, I love when he starts talking about you know like the people living in the trees oh we, I,
0: yeah those late night callers yeah, that just the come up with guy, this crazy it's, it's, it's
1: hilarious
0: right, I, Independent Station oh, it's great. WJAZ Jazz yeah. and Conversation
1: that's oh, a great yeah, song yeah good great stuff. song alright well That takes me to my fifth, uh, this one. Uh, I'm going to give a little history before I give the artist on this one. The song was originally written by D.L. Bryan. He was a pop rock singer uh, who released his first album, titled This Day and Age, in 1980 on Arista Records. He wrote the song, titled Shadows of the Night, uh, for his second album, but he ran into creative differences with Arista and he left the label without making the album. So the song then went to pop singer... Rachel Sweet, and she released the song on her 1981 album, And Then He Kissed Me. Her version didn't get any traction. It went nowhere. But in 1982, a third uh, version of the song, the second cover of the song, was released by Pat Benatar.
2: We're running with the shadows that you can't hide on the inside all the pain you ever felt
1: had already had some hits under her belt uh, with promises in the dark we live for love uh this song it was it heartbreaker was, was that uh, heartbreaker yeah. yeah um this song was it was a great fit for benatar um uh, with lyrics using just bold imagery and you know largely it's it's the the entire message of the song she's she's trying to assuage a, a, a lover like hit me with your best shot though as it was originally written by a man the song uh, forces benatar to reverse gender she she had done that uh a couple of times before, I mean, with your best shot being the, the prime example, her, her powerful voice and, and just that strong persona, it helped pull it off. And lines like, baby, take my hand, it'll be all right, which are more typically delivered by the guy trying to comfort his damsel. Uh, it sounds so natural coming from Benatar. But Benatar, um, you know, she she said in an interview um, that this song was not without controversy. Rachel Swede, who first recorded it, she made contributions to the lyrics, okay? And Benatar did not know this. Um, and when she recorded the song, she credited D.L. Bryan, the original uh, writer of the song, with lyrics by Pat Benatar uh, and, and her husband. Uh, uh, I'm forgetting his first name. It's Geraldo. But yeah, he was also I, in guitarist. Uh, yeah, I'm um, I'm totally blanking on his first name, Um, but nonetheless, she said, you know, she she did not credit uh, anyone other than uh, Brian and herself. Well, she didn't know um, that Rachel Sweet had added lyrics as well. Okay, so it it created this this credit kerfuffle. I guess she actually said it was in in an interview with WNCX, okay, here in Cleveland, Ohio. She said that uh, Brian had submitted the song, and he neglected to ever tell Pat Benatar that um, Rachel Sweet had uh, rewritten a good portion of the song, a good portion of the lyrics. Um, So, you know, she said she was interested in recording it. He said, uh, you know, basically go for it. And she said we would like to change some of the some of the verses. And she was given permission uh, by the publishers and by D. O'Brien to, to do so. So, when they put the writing credits on Benatar's version on her record, um, no one had ever told her that Rachel Sweet's lyrics were still on there. Okay? So, you know, the song said it was D. O'Brien, additional lyrics by Pat Benatar, and oh, it wasn't actually her husband, I'm sorry. It was actually her drummer, Myron Grumbacher. Um, so, Rachel Sweet got pissed and she, she sued for. Um, credits on the, on the song um and you know basically benatar felt horrible about it because she you know she herself being a female artist in a very male-dominated uh industry at the time um she was really she was on the side of rachel sweet but i guess it, it created a, a really nasty rift between the two of them still today if you go to ascap's database byron uh Ryan, is the, is the, he's the only writer credited on the song still. It, it's kind of kind of weird reading about the history of the song. Um, Benatar, though, she was one of MTV's early stars. And uh, You Better Run, I don't know if you remember this, it was the second video ever played on, on MTV. Hmm. She had the second video. It was The Buggles followed by Pat Benatar. And um, for Shadows of the Night, it was a conceptual video um, which was made by director Mark Robinson. Do you remember the video? No. Okay, Pat Benatar in the video. Oh, wait a minute. She's wearing, she's an aviator helmet? She's, yes. She, uh, yeah, she's a, she's a World War II flying ace.
0: That's right. <laughs> and she's,
1: she's doing her part to fight the and Nazis. She's lip-syncing
0: right? while she's exactly. flying the plane. Yeah. Yeah. And,
1: and she, yeah. And, you know, the, by the end of the song, you find out that, you know, she's really a riveter. And, and all this was a dream. But the video also starred uh, a young actor... Uh, Who is largely unknown? Uh, he was about to blow. He was about to make a huge name for himself because not long after the video, Fast Times at Ridgemont High uh, debuted. Judge Reinhold. Really? Judge Reinhold is a a co-pilot. Uh, what? Well, not her co-pilot. He's a, he's a second pilot in the uh, video. And Bill Paxton actually is a Nazi radio operator. Hmm. I went back to watch the video. It is it's it is so has nothing to do with the song whatsoever right right. <laughs> it was pretty cool Benatar she won the Grammy Award uh, for Best Rock Vocal Performance Female uh, for the song she actually won that award four years in a row Shadows of the Night was her third win uh, I had followed Crimes of Passion and Fire and Ice and then the following year uh, she won it again for a song called Love is a Battlefield so
0: Benatar which that concept would have made maybe more sense it, for yeah, Love is a Battlefield
1: possibly yeah um yeah because well, remember the video for love is battlefield though she she
0: that the, they, the, she runs
1: away from home and she ends up being a stripper um,
0: which one is the takeoff of michael jackson's beat it where they're dancing instead it, of fighting it, Was love, that? Is, love is battlefield. okay yeah
1: okay. Where, where they turn on the owner of the strip club and yeah it's um it's like the the cleanest most clothed strip club in, <laughs> in history <laughs> But nonetheless it love is battlefield classic song um Benatar, I don't know. I'm, you think she's finally going to get in? To she better, because I'm
0: sorry. She is it, the epitome of an 80s rocker, a oh, female yeah. 80s rocker. Well, I love her. I think she's got the best vocal of any 80s I female. Be, I mean, yeah. she's got that okay. operatic voice that she can turn on a dime, and, and, and it works with pop music and rock music, but yeah. she can belt.
1: Well, and you know, it's weird. I saw her in concert uh, just last summer. She sounds exactly the same really yeah I, they were playing the palace theater and um yeah sitting there in the palace listening to her it it it, it was 1982 nice. i mean her voice has not changed
0: there are a few artists like that at all i mean yeah. it was
1: so pure and it was so oh it, it was it gave me goosebumps i mean she sounds identical. well that's because
0: she i think she's probably classically trained yeah and if she's classically trained she knows how to not ruin your voice most rock musicians don't sing properly and they end up killing their voice
1: oh, that, that's true yeah um but now she better get in, I and mean, there there is such a movement to get her in, and so many artists that have gotten in before her. It's 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 that's
0: you know, a crime. It is. It is a crime.
1: All right, your turn.
0: All right. Well, my next band is not a group; it's a project. Uh-huh.
2: <laughs> yeah. Alan Talking Parsons. about
0: Alan Parsons' project, and they're a huge hit of the year, "Eye in the Sky." came from the album of the same name. The song went to number three, so this one almost made it to number one. Uh, On the album, the song transitions um, from a a little mini instrumental track called Serious. Uh, Alan Parsons wanted to start the album with Eye in the Sky, but felt like the beginning of Eye in the Sky wasn't dramatic enough. So he composed this little bit. And that uh, is very, very recognizable, especially if you're a sports fan. It's used in a lot of different sporting events. It's actually been adopted by the Chicago Bulls as their um, official song. So you hear the little serious two-minute song being played in the arena when the basketball team is being introduced. Um, But the single was separated for airplay so in the 80s we didn't hear we just heard eye in the sky but if you listen to album oriented rock today or classic rock stations um satellite radio you'll you'll normally hear sirius go into eye in the sky
1: hmm, okay yeah i um i i had the 45 mm-hmm. for eye in the sky i did yeah not, so, I did not own the album right so. so you
0: but you know right away if you heard it you'd be like oh yeah okay that's where okay. that song came from it's very recognizable it's been used a lot um, Alan Parsons, um, of course, was the sound engineer for the Beatles, um, who worked on their last uh, several albums at Abbey Road, uh, went on to produce one of the greatest albums of all time, Dark Side of the Moon. Um, and then he decided to go out on, on his own and form his own, quote, project, uh, which was basically he and um, um, I forget the, the name of the other artists, but the, the two of them kind of like Steely Dan. The two of them were the were the bases of the group. And then they brought in studio musicians and Session musicians to fill everything out, but they were the the primary uh, you know writers and in and, and he um in fact i don't, who, who was the lead singer it wasn't alan Parsons he didn't sing no I can't remember the name, but um anyway, he was obviously behind all of it so Um, the fact that he called it a project I think that's pretty cool I can't think of any other bands right and and I I don't know if this is true I heard a long time ago that he couldn't come up with a name and everyone just kept referring to as the you know Alan Parsons project because Alan Parsons was such a big name in the producing and engineering world and they knew he was recording and he didn't have a name and so finally he's like fine it kind of like the Washington baseball team you know I'm just gonna (laughs) call myself the Alan Parsons project yeah Um, I love the song Uh, I love the band but here's what's really strange. and I go back and listen to Alan Parsons, I'm like, it, 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 it doesn't fit anywhere. I no. mean, how do you describe the Alan Parsons project? They're not really psychedelic like Pink Floyd, but they have elements of that. They're not, they're, they have elements of soft rock, but, but then they're a little bit harder than that at times. Um, like Steely Dan, they're very polished, and, and obviously everything's put together perfectly. Um, they're,
1: they're often categorized as prog rock which
0: there's definitely a prog element to it but they're
1: not prog rockers no you know you're you're right you know it's it's, I'll give you an example I mean as an English teacher I don't know if you're familiar with the album but uh, Tales of of Mystery and, and Imagination do you know the album I don't it is it's now very early Alan Parsons project album I think it was released in 75, 76. Okay. Um, but the entire album is based on stories by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, interesting. And if you listen to this, I mean you you can hear the prog elements to, to the songs. There's definitely a, a, a hard rock uh you know leaning. But yeah, it, it's you listen to it, it's all over the place, you know? Which is is both good and bad. I I I've never I, I like the Alan Parsons Project. I don't love the Alan Parsons Project because it's it, it's for me it's too unwieldy. You know, I like some of their singles.
0: Um, don't answer me. You, I, I think what you would like from the fifties element of it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and you know he has other songs. I in the sky was the big one. I loved that song. Um,
0: time. Time was a good. There's another one. I had um, the album Vulture Culture, which is a solid album, top to bottom. Okay. They had uh, uh, let's talk about me.
1: A few other okay. I have, actually, I don't know that one. These are numbers. Um, but numbers. Uh, yeah, no. It's definitely. I mean, it is one of those, one of those bands um, or, or projects, <laughs> I suppose, that it, it's truly unique and that you know, you you can't label them. Well,
0: and the vocalist, way. whoever that may be, I can't remember the name, but the vocalist was was part of that because his vocal styling was so unique. It was smooth. Uh, but it was also mysterious right there was something dark right. about it it didn't have a lot of character but it was consistent i don't know how to even describe it but i think more than anything if you were to replace these songs with a different vocalist i think we'd have a different emotional reaction i to it.
1: agree john miles okay. was his name yeah, john, miles. john miles yeah um i don't know him from adam and one of the more di- <laughs> so, one of the more okay. distinct vocals yeah. Uh, yeah i i just i don't know I, I was really happy you included. It. I love this song, but the band—I I don't know. I, I I just have a lot of mixed feelings about Alan, Alan Parsons. I mean, what he does behind the scenes, you know, on the on the mixer, on the board. I mean, we wouldn't have. Uh, he gave us so many of the iconic albums, yes. but yeah, I don't know. It, it's I always found them a very interesting, or him, I suppose, a very interesting contribution to the the uh, annals of music history. So, um, yeah, you done? Yep, yep. Okay. I think we have two more. One one yep. for you, one for me. Absolutely. Well, my last one um, is by Quarterflash. Uh, it's from the self-titled e, uh, album. I almost said EP. It was an LP. Um, self-titled album, Quarterflash. Uh, it hit number three in 19... Well, the album was released in 81. It hit number three in 82. The song is Harden My Heart.
0: what is a quarter flash? Is it when you don't quite flash somebody all the way? Like you just show a I, little bit
1: of skin. I actually looked it up. I know.
0: I, I know what it is. Oh, do
1: you? Yeah. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> because I, I had the same question, <laughs> but, um, well, first of all, I'm the, just going
0: to show you one butt cheek. That's my quarter flash.
1: Is, is that okay. it? Yeah. I'm only wearing half a chap. Is that, is that the, uh, new trend? Um, well, first of all, in this song, you know, the singer's finding strength to leave her man. She's, she's determined to do it without getting emotional. Um, It was written by Quarterflash guitarist Marv Ross, and and it was a regional hit uh, in the Pacific Northwest when the group originally called itself Seafood Mama. Hmm. That was their original band name, Seafood Mama. I'm so glad they changed the name. (laughs) But after a shuffling of the lineup and a name change to Quarterflash, they reissued the single, and it became a U.S. Top 5 hit, peaked at number three. Quarterflash took its name from a piece of old Australian slang,
0: about immigrants, right? About immigrants,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, it described newly arrived migrants uh, from Britain as one quarter flash and three parts foolish, it is the actual uh, quote. that, that
0: But they're not Australian, stars. they're an American band.
1: They are, yeah, yeah, yeah. they are. Um, the, what, what I always found interesting, this is something you don't see too often, the female lead singer is also the sax player which I always found really really cool yeah. you know uh, her name was Rindy Ross she was the wife of Marv Ross um, and yeah she uh, she played the, the sax both on this and the, the follow up single Find Another Fool this was released the same year that MTV went on air um, and, and the video it contains many random images I mean this is one of those videos early MTV videos make no sense they, they just don't this one though it might be the worst offender uh, because in the video, you have jugglers, you have a little person, you have makeup table in the in the desert, you have these well dressed guys on motorcycles, and then the sax solo in the rain. I mean, nothing in this video gels, and nothing, of course, has anything to do with a breakup. You know, and a woman looking to be empowered uh, from the breakup. Um, it it just you know it's disjointed, which was just pretty pretty typical of. The, that first year or two on, on MTV. Elton John, uh, he rarely, rarely uses opening acts in his concerts, but on the strength of this song, Hardened My Heart, he went out of his way. He asked Quarter Flash in 1982 to open for him, um, which he, he had never had an opening act before, and I don't know that he's ever had one after. Um, but yeah he, he he was such a fan of quarterflash their sound that he actually asked them to to open for his tour in 82 but as fast as they they uh, you know they rose to to stardom on on the strength of especially this song and as fast as they they made a name for themselves they just disappeared quarterflash just you don't hear about them anymore yeah. in 82
0: this song was was used prominently in uh, Rock of Ages yeah. um, which was a great use it was one of the best uses of of the old 80s oh yeah music in in that particular well originally broadway and then then film right um yeah love it love it
1: all right well that that completes my side hey, a what, what do you got
0: okay well as i wake up my ipad here here we go all right my last one oh from the patron saint of yacht rock
1: michael mcdonald
0: michael mcdonald yeah. yep 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 um, man, the, let's just start with the bass line. Let's just start with the groove of this song. This is one of the greatest grooves of any 80s song ever. Um, you just put it on and it's like, pff, yes, okay. Michael McDonald, from the album, That's What It Takes, this song went to number four. Um, when you know Michael McDonald wasn't singing lead for Doobie Brothers or backup for Steal It In uh, or working with a host of other artists, and he came uh, up with a few solo albums of his own, um, he is the voice. I mean, I'm sorry. It is the voice. I can't think of a, a better voice, a better... I uh, well, can't so, say enough about He's it. so
1: soulful. I mean,
0: he's, he's a white guy. He's a white guy. And but his tracks don't sound white. No, you would not know that he is. And this is a great yeah. example, especially the groove on this song. Um, now, this is something that I did not know. The backing vocals for this track were performed by his sister, Maureen McDonald. So it's kind of creepy if you think about it in the context of the song itself, R- or, yeah. because it's about a couple that's broken up. Keep forgetting, uh, but but if but if you just go, <laughs> wow, okay, she's a performer on the song, right? Okay, okay. It's not autobiographical, I hope. <laughs> Lewis Johnson, who lays down that bass line, is just like, ugh, I can't get enough of it. So, um, The groove was sampled in 1994. Some millennials may recognize the groove from the Warren G song Regulate. Oh, yeah. But yeah. to me, man, it all goes back to, to this tune. And uh, whenever this pops up on Yacht Rock Radio, on, on satellite, I'm just really excited because I love this song.
1: No, it's, it's a good one. I, I It's one of those songs, too, that I forget about. Then, which is
0: the whole point of the yeah, show which
1: yeah I forget all about it and then I, I hear it you know uh, and um, especially on series either on 80s on age or, or the Yacht Rock you know and one of the channels it'll come on and I'm like I just I fall in love with the song all over again. It's it's one of those that I, that's just been a recurring thing through the it's years. It's timeless.
0: It doesn't feel like an early 80s song. No, it, it doesn't. It, it has such elements, like you say, the soul element, and there's yep. a little bit of a jazzy influence, and it's just so timeless. Oh, absolutely. And um, I just, of course, think back to um, 40-year-old Virgin. <laughs> yeah. When uh, I believe was it, uh, he was uh, Michael, Michael Scott. Um, Steve Carell was working at uh, like, like a Circuit City. Maybe it was Circuit City.
1: Uh, it, it might and, and the, certain, and the yeah. television
0: display of course this was back and I still think, I guess they do kind of have this at Best Buy where you have like a hundred televisions you oh, know? Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and they had a demo playing it was a Michael McDonald concert <laughs> over and over and over what again Was it really? Yeah they had to listen to Michael McDonald. Wow
1: it has been a long time since I've seen that, <laughs> that movie um, yeah well just that image too of just the same thing being shown you know like, like you're in a Zoom meeting you know the TVs are right, just right. Grid, it's a grid you know um, that was a staple of 1980s anchor stores in the mall. I yeah. remember walking into Penny's or Sears or uh, Dillard's or Kaufman's or uh, Montgomery Ward, O'Neill's. God, there were so many that have come and gone. Yeah. Um, Before and, the
0: big box stores, they uh, were exactly. department stores.
1: Yeah, but the department stores, they always had that wall of televisions, mm-hmm. you know, which, of course, is being made fun of and money for nothing but by direct right. straights. But, yep. yeah, it was always fascinating to me because it was – there was something about the visual appeal of that in the eighties that I, I I could just sit there and watch watch a show I was no, I had no interest in, in no interest in rather, but there was something about that wall of TVs that as a young kid it just fascinated me yeah. you know so
0: and if you in back then if you bought a TV you had to especially if it was a demo model you had to tone down they they put it on torch mode to make them look brighter in the store. Um, the contrast and the brightness was always so high
1: alright well this is one of the other things I looked up was cost of cost of living in 82 okay a Sony 19 inch 19 inch color TV guess how much it would have cost you color TV $500 $500 you are spot on. Am I? It was 499 There yeah, you go. $499 for a 19-inch color TV. And today you 82.
0: can get a 65-inch OLED probably for less than that. Oh, yeah,
1: easily. Maybe $250, $300. Yeah, um, yeah that, was, that was an amazing guess. I should if, go on The prices
0: Right. <laughs> you should. In the 80s.
1: In the 80s. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, that is side A.
0: That's side A of our 1982 episode.
1: Yeah. So we will be back next week uh, with with 12 more cuts and and oh it it really was it was a fantastic year for music so hope you enjoyed this episode and uh we hope to see you on the back half
0: and that's all for this week hot fun cool punk even if it's old junk another mix of memories awaits next week
1: but for now hit pause lift the needle no click you pause. need to write this stuff down. i really man. do i i screwed it up uh Yeah. Let's try let's try it again. Every year when we come back, another mix of memories awaits next week. But for now, press pause, lift the needle, and hit eject. That's that's how it works. And we will see you on the flip side.